Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's great to see you out tonight. Uh, many folks are encouraged by what God is doing uh, here at Central Baptist Church. I'd like to welcome all the folks online. We're just six months away from our 60th church anniversary, and our celebration will be held 11 o'clock Sunday morning, October 29th, 2023. Mark it down. Plan to be with us. Plan to join us. Plan to write some blessings up to be included in our celebration. We're going to have many guests here. want you to start inviting now, and that's what we're doing. All week long, let's be passing tracks. And on Saturday, 9 o'clock clean uh, here at the church, 10 o'clock visit out and about as the weather permits, and then, of course, other activities this weekend. But be in church on Sunday. It is the first Sunday in the month of May coming up. Not this week, but the following week, every lady will receive a memento, a beautiful reminder of being with us on Mother's Day, the 14th of May. Don't forget the 21st of May is Armed Forces Sunday and the 28th is Memorial Day. And for those two weeks, we're going to ask all of our military past and present to, to uh, display memorabilia, decorations and so forth, pictures, photos from military days. We'll have a table or two out here for those some who have passed on, some who are still with us and retired, some who are active, and we love the military. Amen. Also on the 28th, we will have a very special feature with the visit of the Briones family in the morning. Uh, we'll have them in Sunday school, combined Sunday school, and then after church, we'll all go out and have a bite to eat and time of fellowship on that holiday weekend. We're going to have a great, great time this month, serving the Lord. God is doing great things. I want to thank you for giving to the Nehemiah Fund. That's going to become uh, come to fruition. We're going to see building cleaned up outside, inside, upgraded. Uh, many things done over the coming six months. Thank you for your giving. Also now, we have added to that the uh, special giving to the bus ministry. We're asking people to consider large and small gifts from the heart, and those gifts will purchase and upgrade our buses and our vans and uh, we'll be uh, st uh, staffing and training the staff and going out and to the highways and hedges and bringing them in to Jesus. We're going to reach whole families, whole neighborhoods for the Lord Jesus in the coming years because of your giving. So let's give generously and uh, praise the Lord for that opportunity. In addition to our other giving, we have, of course, our regular tithes and missions. Great month last month up on the board. Thank you so much, Tyler, for putting that up. Uh, wow, that was a great month of giving, and uh, we're up above our, our average, and praise the Lord for that. Keep on giving, and we'll be able to take on more missionaries. Praise the Lord. We've been talking about uh, the New Testament church and the problems that the Apostle Paul addressed in the Corinthian church. We covered 1 Corinthians, and just about every chapter had a question or a problem uh, that... Uh, Paul took care of that by inspiration he answered and praised the Lord uh, for that. He told them they needed to go ahead and uh, take to task the guilty parties who were involved in blatant immorality, and they did, but the people uh, perhaps went a little far. And so tonight I'm speaking on the subject when discipline goes too far. You know that as a parent uh, we need to discipline our children. If you love your kids, you will discipline them according to the book of Proverbs and never in anger, but always uh, in, in the direction of the Holy Spirit uh, with the goal of bringing about 
uh, reconciliation. We, we should always have as a goal correction in our, our viewfinder. That's what we want, correction. And so there needs to be uh, clarity and understanding and there needs to be compassion. Anytime, anytime we bring up something that's wrong in somebody else, we've got to be careful that, uh, that we're not guilty or more guilty than uh, what we're trying to correct. And uh, we need to be very careful that how we do what we do is right. I talked about it this past week. I'm going to talk about it again tonight. It's not only doing right and walking the right way, but we need to be on the right path with the right folks going the right direction for the right reason. How we do the will of God is absolutely essential. I want you to turn with me, if you would please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we've completed the first four verses. And now we're coming to the fifth verse. And I'm going to read down through verse number 11. Verse number 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, down through verse 11. Please notice as I read and take notes and take note of what the Holy Spirit might say to our hearts, all right? The, the conjunction but introduces verse 5. So there's a, a, you know, a point of reference, pointing back, looking back, but... If any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I might not overcharge you all. The Apostle Paul is a responsible individual here. He's the apostle who is answering the question. He's the one that called for church discipline for the end of correction. And uh, he's, saying, he's saying what we frequently have to say when we're dealing with people. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about the truth. It's always about doing right. And we need to make sure that we keep it very clear that what we do is not about our emotions or making us feel better. We got this off our chest or we got this burden off our shoulders and uh, got it out of our mind. Now I can get some rest. Now I can get some peace about this thing. It's not bothering me anymore. Paul is saying it's not about Paul. It's not about how we feel or how we've been upset or, or how we've responded to what others have done that is wrong or what some have done to try to correct what was wrong. It's about the truth. It's about the testimony. It's about our triumph over sin and wrong and that which would sully the testimony of the believers. We're going to be seeing that a little bit later on when we get into our next section, which will be next Wednesday night. We're going to see how the Lord turns things around. I, I'm so glad for the 180 that, that is so frequently experienced in the grace of God in situations that are difficult like this. God doesn't expect you... Uh, as a born-again believer, to just be turned loose, untethered in this world, filled with all of its sin and problems, the resulting difficulties and conflicts that come from sin. Instead, He has insulated us, and He has given us His Word and His Holy Spirit. We've got the armor, and we've got uh, all the help we need spiritually so that it is not about us, and it needs not ever become about us. I would say, I don't know how many of you have ever been through 
church conflicts, but I would say most church splits and splinters are because of personalities, because of feelings, because of emotions. There may be in there some principle, and folks may be pulling out principles and re referring to, to side issues that may be principles, but the, the general cause of most church splits is personalities and the conflict in personalities and rubbing each other uh, in a contrary fashion. He's saying, if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. He's saying, let's keep, let's keep the issues clear here. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. They took a vote. The vote was overwhelming to put discipline on this individual that was guilty of blatant immorality, still a member of the church. And so I don't know exactly precisely the, the uh, specifics of this discipline. But remember, the success of discipline isn't that it makes the discipliners feel good. Oh, now, now I'm justified. We, boy, we, we really socked it to them. We really, man, we really put it on them. That's, that's not the measure of success. Nor, nor is squashing somebody's spirit, absolutely squashing them so they can't even come up for air, a measure of success. That's not success at all. We want the health and vitality of the individuals involved in the church at large to be improved. We want the end result, a healthier church. That's it. The body uh, needs to be made healthier. You know, if you, if, you, uh, if you have a terminal illness, you'd have a terminal illness and, and uh, you take out whatever uh, Second Amendment protection you've got at home and you spin the cylinder and, and load it up and, and use it on yourself, you, you may have uh, created a short-term uh, solution of sorts to your terminal illness, but you haven't solved anything. You've just created a whole new set of problems. And that's it. That's, that's exactly what Paul is addressing here. He's saying, you know, you don't take a meat cleaver to a cancer. You don't, you don't, uh, you don't end a terminal illness by uh, self-inflicting a wound that, uh, that would end it all. That's not it. Instead, instead, we need to take a look at what has happened, what's going on in the process of discipline, and make sure that it's sufficient to correct and fix and they can go on. As humans, we tend to do this. If there's a if there's a leak in the dike, you know, where water's coming through, you might patch it up, but you're always going to be cautious when you walk past that leak, aren't you? You're going to look at it kind of suspiciously. Humanly speaking, that's a problem we have to deal with. We are all what? What do we say tonight when we begin? We're all sinners. And if we're saved, we're saved by grace. It's nothing that we deserve. Now, as a result of that, not one of us is in a position that makes us worthy to be the judge of any other person or their sin. And where there's been wrongdoing, God wants to use us as channels to help fix what's wrong in that person. Remember what I read to you last time from the book of Galatians. Please turn there. Galatians chapter 6. 
verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, that's a, like a dislocated, a dislocated bone, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Everybody has something that can bring them down and cause them to get out of sync with the perfect will of God. Everybody. We are all subject to temptation. We saw that back in James chapter 1. We know that when lust hath conceived and responded to temptation, it brings forth sin, and sin brings forth what? Death. The, the recipe is the same in every human being who is flawed with an old nature, and that includes all of us. So as a result of that, coming back to 2 Corinthians and chapter 2, this guilty party had been church disciplined. And the church discipline was voted on, and it was apparently the over, the over uh, uh, I mean, many. You know, there was a, a lot of sentiment, perhaps emotion, who knows what went into it. These Corinthians were not super Christians, remember. They were baby Christians. And you know how there's a feeding frenzy when uh, there's immaturity. And so there was kind of a, a, an overdone uh, business of, of discipline in this case. It was inflicted. All right, and I realize was inflicted is in italics, meaning that's understood in the translation. But it was inflicted. That's, that's the word that was selected by the 47 translators of the King James Bible when they understood the underlying Greek text was inflicted, that they, they chose that word because that best says it in English as it says it in Greek. So that contrarywise, verse 7, ye ought rather to, what does it say? Forgive him. He's saying, now I need to turn on a dime here. All right? You were the, the legalists who, who uh, the, the judicial crowd that passed the sentence on him. Remember, the ultimate design is correction. Fix the problem. Now the problem has been fixed, so stop being judicial. Stop staring at the crack in the dike that's been patched. All right? Turn on a dime. Now what? Forgive. Now listen to me. Forgiveness is one of the greatest things in the world, in the whole universe. And forgiveness is one of the sweetest and best things in the whole universe. And we, we love to be forgiven, but we have to forgive if we're going to be forgiven. Bible teaches us that. Over in Matthew, you know, in, in chapter number 6, we read that very clearly. If we don't forgive, then we'll not be forgiven. I, we're we're going to be we're going to be forever uh, aware of the fact that forgiveness is a two-way street. Now, the word forgiveness, look at the middle of forgiveness. And the middle is give, G-I-V-E. Forgiveness is a gift that you grant. So Paul is saying, all right, you guys were judicial. You inflicted this. It was more than enough, guys. You don't have to pile on. Now, turn on a dime and forgive. 
question is, are we willing to do that? Man, the, the, the turning is ours to do. Turning from the judicial to the forgiveness. And forgiveness does include a measure of acceptance. Now, that acceptance uh, may be cautious. Obviously, you don't want to... You don't want to be unwise in the granting of this. But even with the caution, we don't want to excuse ourselves from not forgiving by saying we're cautious. We're to forgive and be cautious. We're to forgive and, and be careful about this. And, and then the purpose of the, of the discipline is to restore the erring one. Restore them. Bring them back into fellowship. He doesn't get to teach a class right away. Maybe he doesn't sing in the choir. Maybe he just sits for a while, but at least he's part of the congregation, part of the body. He's been restored, you know. The life flow is flowing through that tissue, that part of the body. Okay. So forgive him and now, next, and comfort him. The word comfort is the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit. He is our advocate. He's the one who, look, comes along besides us, beside of us. And he's the one who speaks positively to us and encourages us. All of the Bible truths about edification, building up individuals, predicated upon our being a channel of, of this comfort that comes by way of God. The Holy Spirit comforts through us, and we edify, we build up that one. This guy was so torn down, so beat up, so beaten down, he needed to be lifted up and dusted off and, and comforted and made to uh, feel as though he is accepted and he belongs. And I know that 25 years after this immorality, there'll still be some probably in the church that have it written down someplace, written down in my book, that he committed immorality. And that's one more time written down than is written down in heaven. Because according to the word of God, when it's forgiven, it's forgotten, and it's under and gone, done, finished. Amen. Amen. Depending upon the particular error involved. Now sometimes gossip can be worse than immorality in terms of what it does in the congregation. You remember those six things that the Lord hates, seven are an abomination. You know that one that goes around and stirs up discord among the, the brethren? You know that one? That's the one that's the abomination. So on a scale of whatever it is, one to whatever, that's the worst. Here's what I'm saying. We categorize... We think, you know, murder and, and moral sin, that's the worst. You know, and then something else. You know, maybe extortion or embezzlement and then, you know, robbery and maybe physical violence, abuse or whatever. But we, we tend to categorize things, you know, from 1 to 10, which is worse. All of it crucified Jesus. All of it is sin. We're all guilty We've broken one of the commandments. We've broken all of them. We're guilty. 25 years from now, somebody's got it in their book, but the Lord washed it away. It's gone. It's absolutely gone. So what do we do? We forgive. 
we accept, we comfort, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. It is a, is a truth, it is absolutely a true uh, a factual teaching that people die of broken hearts. People get broken inside and can't be mended and uh, they just die that way. They shrivel up and they die. I've known of cases where this is true. A person dies long before their physical clock ran out. They, they, were, they were dead and gone because of a broken heart. Wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. So, forgive, comfort, and confirm. Confirm your love. What does it mean to confirm? We see the word firm in there. When you, when you pack the dirt down, you know, when it's solid, when you can run that vehicle up and down that road, it's solid. It's not, gonna, it's not a washout. It's solid. Confirm. 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 There, there has to be some adamant confirmation. There has to be some, some clear, um, emphatic confirmation. Confirm your love toward him. We're going to forgive him and we're going to comfort him from afar and we're going to confirm but not too, too close. No, I think you've got to get a little closer than that, folks. I think we have to be willing to have a cup of coffee, piece of pie, dinner, whatever, sit down, not, not hash it over again, but just let the individual know, you know, you break bread with them, uh, you're, you're taking time with them, uh, you're, you're concerned that they're not crushed, that their spirit isn't crushed. And that's the way we need to be concerned about keeping a balance. All right, so we know all about guardrails out here, don't we? We need to, we have guardrails when it comes to our behavior toward one another in the local church, in particular, those that are subject to discipline and how we're going to behave toward them. It's, it's kind of like temporarily there is a separation, but then uh, in a reasonable length of time when restitution and reconciliation and restoration have all occurred, then we need to get back in. And there needs to be a, um, uh, a, you know, a healing of the heart, of the spirit, and uh, raising that individual back up to a part participatory level where, okay, welcome back. Welcome back to the uh, choir, to ushering, to, to whatever. And praise the Lord. We're not whitewashing. We're not sweeping it under the rug. Didn't do that. Many a time in the past, churches have had meetings where they had to turn off the sound system, excuse the kids, Somebody's watching them out the foyer or the next building or whatever. And you're having a meeting because somebody has fallen into sin and it's been exposed and they're willing to come before the church and ask for forgiveness. And the church votes uh, to uh, have church discipline to bring the person through for restoration. That's it. And there's a lot of one-on-one -on -one and there's a lot of caring and a lot of, you know, neck hugging and forgiveness and it's not with meanness or spitefulness that it's ever done all the you know all the judicial people they need to kind of pull the horns in and remember lest it happen to us galatians 6 1 all right so wherefore i beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him for to this end also did i write 
that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it. Here it is, in the person of Christ. Now this is where the rubber meets the road. This is really the spiritual teaching of all of this. In the world of church discipline and correction, there's, there's an actual, you know, there has to be a meeting, and it, it goes like this. The individual goes to the one that's the offender, asks them to repent, urges them to repent, prays with them. They refuse, you take another, and if they won't be heard, take it before the church. It's not something we look forward to. It's not something that's done very often. Many churches never do it. But um, there are cases where it must be. And when, the, when it is done, it is to be done appropriately. And as I said, you know, if, if the kids are dismissed because they can't vote anyway, have the kids out of the auditorium and you talk about it to the 10, the 20, the 30, the 40, the 50 that are left, the 100, 500, what's ever left, and this has to be kept close to the vest, confidential, and there has to be a sweetness about it. And I would not recommend that a pastor or a <clears throat> scriptural leader in the church that doesn't have great compassion, I would not suggest that they be in charge of chairing the meeting. Meetings should be chaired by somebody who both understands the scripture and the gravity of the wrongdoing and still has a desire, a love to see uh, that the person is restored. Why? Because that's what Jesus Christ would do. I forgave it in the person of Christ. What does that mean? How can you forgive in the person of Christ? You say, well, he was an apostle. And in that sense, he had a unique position. Yes, he did. But we don't have any of those anymore. All the apostles are written down in the Bible. We have them there, but they're just ink on paper. They're dead and gone. There are no more apostles. An apostle had to be one that accompanied with the original group from the baptism of John on. Had to be a witness of the resurrection. Nobody is 2,000 years old and has done those things. So we don't have any apostles no matter what the Pentecostal uh, charismatic and holiness movements may say. All the apostles are dead and gone. But we got them, we got them here. We got their witness here. And the point is, the principle, when we forgive in the person of Christ, it's because Jesus Christ has control over our mind, heart, soul, spirit, everything about us. That's it. Have you ever seen... A preacher preach or a person teach or a person sing. And man, you thought for sure it was Jesus. Would to God that when we do something that seems as difficult as church discipline, that that church discipline is carried out so that afterwards they say, man, that was Jesus. That was Jesus in charge. The, the, the love of Jesus was obvious. We've known some people, no matter what they did, if they chaired a meeting, it was the spirit of Jesus. Meetings can be challenging. Church meetings can be challenging. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, uh, the most important meeting is the meeting before the meeting. 
The meeting before the meeting is when you meet with the principal parties and you talk about what's going to be discussed and they understand it and there's no big surprises and there's no emotion that is billowing out, you know, flames and fire and smoke and all of that because that's not the way to do God's business. And so some people that are brothers in Christ have spoken before the meeting and now they come into the meeting and they say, yes, it's difficult and they deal with the meeting and, and it gets voted on, gets taken care of. It might get, some of it might get tabled until later, might go into a subcommittee, might be brought back the next meeting. All those things take place. But the purpose of a business meeting in any venue, but especially in a church, is not for us to just vent and let it out. Now, there have been some unfortunate Baptist business meetings over time in which those things happen. Hopefully, even when it is a church discipline business meeting, there's no venting. Just absolute calm, peace. Because that's what Jesus would do. He gets up out of the boat. He says, peace be still. Wave stop. Wind stops. And the disciples go, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey his voice? That's what we need in a church business session of any kind, especially when there's church discipline taking place in the person of Christ. Now, between the discovery of sin and when it actually gets taken care of in a church business meeting. There should be no gossip, no passing it along. It's nobody's business. There should be, there should be none of that which comes out of the flesh. Only that which is of the spirit and is directed toward the process of resolving, of restoring, of fixing what's broken. That's it. Amen. I've seen it both ways. Praise God. I've seen it the right way. Verse 11. This can be applied not only to this specific situation that Paul is writing about, but this next verse can be applied to every aspect of our life. Every breath we take, every step we take, everything we do, every thought we, uh, that we uh, uh, entertain, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. How do you do that? Back up in the person of Christ. If we deal with every aspect of every relationship, every decision, every choice, every conversation, every part of our life in the person of Christ, we will prevent Satan from getting an advantage of us. But if... If we don't, in the person of Christ, do what needs to be done in life, then whatever we do will open the door for Satan to step inside, say, hello again, and wow, once he's there, you got a problem. Satan gets an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. His devices are his tools, his tricks. He is... Uh, He's the most subtle, as we read in Genesis. He's the most subtle of all. And uh, 
You know that he is extremely wise. He's not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-wise. But he is extremely wise and extremely powerful. And the one thing he has over us, he's been around 6,000 plus years. And having seen everything that we do, his opinion of man is not high. He does not have a high opinion of man. He, he is not a man. He is an angelic, a fallen spirit being. But he knows. He knows you. He knows me. He knows our weaknesses. He's got a book on us, just like um, the uh, various ball players that uh, have watched pitchers pitch, uh, have watched hitters hit, and they've got a book on everybody in the league. And they know exactly how it is. And so when, when uh, number three comes to bat, you know, third in the batting order, steps up there, you know he's going to step in into the left side of the plate, batter's box, and he's going to be back uh, uh, an inch or two uh, further or maybe a foot back further than others. And you know exactly where the zone is going to be that you've got to put this. And you know that he has settled in defensively uh, to try to cover that plate, and you know that, so you've got to get it past him fast, slow, or deceptively, and you've got a book on him. Satan has a book on you. He knows how you, how you stand up at the plate. Uh, Satan knows everything about you and everything about me. He's got it written up. Therefore, when we are lulled into some area... Have you ever tried to do something that required spirituality, but you were physically tired or weak, sleepless, or uh, perhaps deprived? Maybe you hadn't eaten and you were crabby. I have seen, I have seen men come to business meetings in the church without having had a chance to eat, and they are as mean as a bear because they didn't get a chance to eat. That is why when we had business meetings downstairs, we also had what? Comfort food. It was not designed to, to uh, gain advantage. It was designed to keep the playing field level. That was it. There was a time, I remember when J.P., would bring burgers from Five Guys. And he would lay them in, and he'd say, for everybody who wants a burger, I mean, and I, I don't know who ate and who didn't eat before they got there, but they all ate when they got there. And man, I had the donuts out there and the, all the sweets and the goodies and everything. And you ladies were wondering where they gained all that weight, but uh, that, was, that was the place. But you see, when, you're, when you haven't eaten, when you're tired, when you've been out, on uh, 95, and you spent an hour and a half in gridlock, and you come to a church business meeting, it's kind of hard to have the Spirit of Christ. The flesh is battling the Spirit. So you keep it on an even keel. You say, preacher, that all, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. Yes, it makes sense. We don't want Satan to ever gain an advantage over us because he knows how we tick. He knows where our weaknesses are. And we want to make sure that everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, everything we plan is in the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We want to make sure that we have and demonstrate the mind of Christ. We want to make sure that everything we do and say is in view of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. We're going to stand before Him and give account of ourselves to God. We're going to have to answer for everything that we've done in the flesh. And we are aware that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. We're talking with our grandkids this week and talking to little James. And before Jesus comes back, there's going to be a trumpet sound. And uh, he's just beginning to learn these truths and, and uh, big eyes, you know. And we, we never want to lose the big eyes. Jesus is coming back. I want to do what I do and say what I say and decide what I decide, knowing that Jesus could be here before I finish this sentence, before I finish this syllable, Jesus could rapture us. I want to be right before my Lord and clean before Him. Cleanse me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior. Know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in that message tonight spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Amen. Amen. Let's get right with God, shall we? And uh, let's respond to the invitation as it's given. If God's spoken to your heart, come on forward. If you don't know Jesus Christ, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, pray from your heart. Dear God, I admit I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die.